Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs. By which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 127, A Russian Novel and a Baptist Sermon. Today's proverb comes from Boethius. I'll read it twice. The wicked are happier if they suffer punishment, than if they are unrestrained by any just retribution. Once more. The wicked are happier if they suffer punishment than if they are unrestrained by any just retribution. I'd like to tell you a story. It's a bit of a disturbing story. It's a story that might remind you of Tolstoy or Dostoevsky. Not in as much as the story is brilliant, but the themes of the story I want to tell you remind me of the work of Russian psychologists. I want to tell you a story about hatred. The premise of the story is simple. A teacher hates a student. The teacher is a high school teacher. The student is 10th grade, 11th grade. The teacher does not hate the student or does not dislike the student without cause. The student is a bad student. And perhaps many students would say that the teacher is a decent teacher, an adequate teacher. 
At the beginning of the year, the student is openly derisive of the teacher, of his class, of the school. The student is lazy. The student is disobedient, disrespectful. The student is everything that would earn the ire of a teacher. And little by little, the teacher comes to dislike the student, despise the student, loathe the student. And at a certain point, the teacher finds himself laying awake at night, thinking of all the ways he would like to embarrass the student. He thinks of the sort of things he would like to say to this student in front of others that would bring shame on this student. He's also angry at the student's parents for being so naive, so ineffectual. The student has an arrogant air, just a look on his face. A look on his face that says, I cannot stand the work of learning and knowing. And the teacher sees it every time he looks at the room in which the student is in. His eyes are almost magnetically attracted to the student's face, and he can read in the student's face. Absolute derision. The student's face is caught in a sneer. The teacher goes from admitting a dislike of this student to acknowledging somewhere in his heart that it is in fact hatred, that if it's not hatred, he does not know what hatred is. It is not hatred at first, though. At first, in the beginning of the year, the teacher tries correcting the student. When the student is late to class, the teacher punishes him. Stay after class for a few minutes. He uses every means at his disposal to de-incentivize this student's slothfulness. He gives him detention, detention after school. He gives him bad grades when he could give him good grades. Anytime he can, he gives the student lower scores than he really deserves. Because the student is slothful, but he is not stupid. There are times the teacher thinks that the student is doing well on his work just to spite the teacher. I do not care about you. I do not care about your class. It is beneath me. And yet, look how well I can still do on all the work you give me. The teacher is becoming eaten up with hatred. At a certain point, it's no longer tempting to overpunish this kid. Hatred and vengeance are often confused for each other. And believe this. Vengeance, wrath, is a sin. Hatred is its own sort of sin. But it's easy to confuse 
wrath, with hatred. Wrath is uncontrolled justice. This is the way that Dante defines it in the comedy. Wrath is an uncontrolled, immoderate desire for justice. If a certain student deserves to be expelled for three days or suspended for three days, wrath means suspending him for three weeks. If a teenager is home late for curfew and deserves to be grounded for a week, wrath is grounding that kid for a month. Wrath is this desire to correct offenses, but it's not an apt desire to correct offenses, or it's a desire to not correct them in an apt way. When punishment goes too far, it's wrath. I think for this reason, it's hard often to distinguish wrath from hatred. It is because they both look like strong Dislike, they both involve anger of a sort. And wrath is most certainly a sin. But hatred is a different kind of sin. Wrath is ultimately about a desire for goodness, a restitution, fixing something that's broken in the world. Inasmuch as it's a sort of perverted justice, wrath can be fixed. How about that? Wrath is immoderate. The moderation of wrath is justice. There's a very important distinction made between these two things in Jane Eyre. There's a conversation at the beginning of that novel between two girls about a a teacher. And the debate is about whether the teacher is cruel or severe. And the difference between cruelty and severity is whether uh, the action itself, the cruelty or the severity, is directed towards something that, that ought to be curtailed, that ought to be cut off. One of the girls accuses a certain teacher of being cruel. And another girl defends the teacher against this accusation and says, well, she's not cruel. She just punishes severely. That's not cruelty. Cruelty, like hatred, aims at the destruction of a person. That's hatred. If you hate someone, you want the worst for them. You don't want them... I don't think that if you hate someone, you want them to die. You want them to be miserable. If you hate someone, you want to see them in agony. You want to see them ashamed. If you hate someone, you want to see them corrupted, torn apart. Often enough, I think, the sin of hatred is confused for the sin of wrath. I think genuine hatred is far more rare than we have been led to believe, given the sort of glib and casual usage of the word hatred these days. But this teacher hates this student. The teacher wants what is 
worst for the student. There is no desire to see the student thrive. The teacher does not even want to see the student change their ways and become good. Because the best revenge is a life well lived. And if this teacher saw the one he hated become happy and productive, well, it would seem as though he got away with everything. Whereas the teacher wants his own gratification in witnessing the suffering of this student. And let us suppose that this is truly a demonic hatred. The teacher is able to keep some semblance of productivity, coherence and sanity, but it is genuinely a demonic hatred. And that's, I suppose, where this story sounds a bit like a Russian novel. Such hatred, I think, is rare. I think it's possible. I think it is possible for one person to hate another. I do think that it's not nearly as common as we imagine. But this teacher has this demonic hatred. And when I say demonic, I don't mean really intense. I mean that the man actually thinks and reasons like a demon. He wants this child's soul to be trapped. He wants this kid to hate life. Now, the teacher's also a little clever. Like the bad student, the teacher is well-read. Read a lot of fiction, let's say. And because he's read a lot of fiction, he understands the human condition, the arc of a human life. And because he understands the arc of a human life, this teacher knows that no one can be really and truly and finally miserable at the age of 17, which is how old this student is, whom the teacher hates. The teacher knows that at 17, life is too easy to repair. At 17, there is still too much time, too many important decisions to be made. And that if the teacher could ruin this kid's life at 17, the kid just has too much life, too much opportunity for reform ahead of him. And that it's easy to forgive someone who's 17. And that it's far easier to correct your wicked ways when you're 17. Which means that if you want to trap a soul... If you want to divert a soul toward the sort of misery that leads to despair, 17 is not the age in which to seal the deal, so to speak. Rather, what you want to do is to incline a soul towards that moment of misery and for the moment of misery to really occur much later in life. At 17, at 18, at 19, at 20, 21, 22, 23, still too young. Still too young to spring the trap. 
If you want to make someone miserable, you need to poise them for failure at about the age of 45. And this is what the teacher wants to do. He doesn't want to ruin this kid's life now. He wants to ruin his life at 45 because he hates him. Because he has a demonic hatred of this kid. And he knows that to catch this kid's soul, he needs to be patient. He is so wicked. This teacher is so wicked. That he is willing to be patient to accomplish his wickedness. His wickedness is not the impulse of a moment. It's not ill thought out. He is using his intellect to destroy another person. This is... The worst sort of sin there is, at least according to Dante. It's not the soft sin of giving in to a good thing a little too much, like drunkenness or gluttony. It is using God's good gifts for evil, planning it out, setting it all up. That's this teacher. A little disturbing to think about such a thing. One day, this teacher is grading a stack of essays. And he comes across the essay of the student whom he hates. And he begins reading it with a sneer and a laugh. And two sentences in, he thinks, this is... Better than I expected. His eyes glance back up to the top of the page. Is this, in fact, the student I hate? It is. That student's name's at the top. He keeps reading, and he finds this enchanting little essay. And it's about some book he's lately taught them. He's impressed. He's upset that he's impressed, and he thinks to himself, the student, this student, the student I hate, has written a brilliant essay merely to spite me. But then the teacher comes across a brilliant turn of phrase. Some little four or five word phrase, very elegant, very sophisticated. And he thinks to himself, that's a little too good. And so he does what every teacher does when they encounter a turn of phrase that's a little too good. He Googles it. Well, as soon as he Googles it, all is revealed. Everything is illuminated. This essay is good because it is plagiarized. Whole thing. As soon as the teacher knows where to look, he sees that every paragraph, every line has been copied and pasted. This kid didn't even try to cover over the fact that none of this work was original. And something in the heart of this wicked teacher delights to have found, to have caught the student he hates in a, in a moment of weakness, in an instance, a situation where he has all the chips he has all, all the queens versus pawns. This teacher has this kid dead to rights. But then he thinks, 
This kid has gotten away with a lot in the past. He could easily get away with this somehow. He's squirrely like that. He has his ways. He has his connections. And the teacher thinks of all the cases before him where a student has squirreled his way out of a plagiarism charge, even though it was obvious, even though the, the others were dead to rights, too. And so the teacher sits on this for an hour and then two. He sets aside the stack of papers. And he drives to a bar and buys a drink and sits down just to think about what he wants to do here. Now, if this teacher merely wanted wrath, what would he do? If the teacher was content to take his vengeance on this student, what would he do? Well, I think we all know what he would do. He would penalize the kid as harshly as possible. He might leverage this instance of plagiarism to get the kid kicked out of school forever. Then he'd never have to see him again. But then he thinks, what would happen then? What would happen if he was kicked out of this school for plagiarism? Perhaps he would repent. Perhaps he would be overwhelmed with frustration and sorrow, and he would see what plagiarism does, what becomes of liars, what becomes of cheats. Maybe he would see all of that, and he would never cheat again. Maybe he would see what happens when you cheat, and he would, uh, he would resign himself to his punishment, and he would resolve to never cheat again. And he would study hard, and he would be industrious. And he would become an ideal sort of student. Is it, is it likely? No. It's possible, though. It is possible that if this kid were to be thoroughly punished for what he has done, he would get better. He would be less loathsome. And so the wicked teacher decides that he is not going to tell anyone about the plagiarism. A new plan develops. I will let him get away with it. I will not only let him get away with this, I will help him get away with this. And the teacher's plan is this. Tell all the other teachers at the school that this kid is brilliant. And that his work is so strong, you may tempted, you may be tempted to think that it's plagiarized, but it's not. You have checked. It's just that brilliant. You tell the other teachers this, perhaps the student gets wind of this and thinks even higher of himself and his cleverness. The teachers are so stupid, they can't catch a simple act of plagiarism. I didn't even try to cover it over. I impressed the pants off of all of them because they're all so stupid. And he would hate adults even more, and he would hate correction even more. 
and he would be more cemented in his duplicity. And he would rely more and more often on cheating and lying and deception in order to make it in the world. And he would accomplish more and more on account of his lying. And with any luck, the wicked teacher says, with any luck, he will never get caught in school, in college. And he will become the sort of horrible person whose wretchedness is not revealed until he reaches the height of his social capacity, the height of his power, the height, the height of his earning potential. Maybe at that point, then it will all be revealed. When he is married, when he has children, his wife will discover he is a fraud. And she will leave him. And his children will side with their mother. And he will be left alone and bitter and angry and cynical about everything. And pass his latter years in a kind of despair that demons prey on. And when he finally dies, they will drag his soul down to where he's been his entire life already. And this is the plan of the teacher. The plan of the teacher is not punishment. Punishment is corrective. The wicked are happier if they suffer punishment than if they are unrestrained by any just retribution. What the wicked teacher wants is for this kid to get away with it. He wants him to get away with everything. Now at this point in the story, I think you understand the logic of the teacher's plan. It is wicked. It is not unreasonable though. If you have patiently followed the story, you understand that the hatred of the teacher means he wants this kid to suffer in soul. He wants his soul to suffer because he hates him. He despises him. He does not want anything good for him. And he knows that the wicked are happier if they suffer punishment. The wicked teacher knows that the wicked are happier if they suffer punishment. And so he withholds punishment from this kid. He conspires with the student. He conspires with the slothful student to help him get away with it because he knows that if this kid gets away with it, he is 10 steps closer to hell than if he catches him. That's what you understand. That's what you understand at this point in the story. If the kid gets away with it, everything's far worse for him. And the only way of explaining why the teacher would let this kid get away with it would even pave the way for him to get away with it in the future. The only reason a teacher would do that is because he is wicked and he wants what is bad for this student. Now, if you have recognized all of this, consider how strange it is 
that you try to get away with so much. Is that not bizarre? If we understand what it means to get away with it, what does it mean for you that you commit your sins in secret and then cover them over? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.